0: So yeah, I've been like a pastor for now, which is kind of crazy, like 10 years. Um, And one of the things that's cool about being a pastor is that you get to meet a lot of people who are preachers, who are singers, who are leaders in all types of ministry. And I have honestly been around some of the most profound and gifted people imaginable. I've seen people who can take three words of scripture and have a 45-minute message that I had you rolling around on the floor. (laughs) I've been around singers who can just touch a microphone and two notes into it, you're like, yeah, Yo, we're going up today. <laughs> and, and being around these people for the last decade, sometimes these people have an inner life that matches their outer life, who they are on stage. And when that happens, it is a beautiful thing to see. But I've also seen the opposite, where people who are supremely gifted and talented, talented beyond uh, beyond belief, they don't have really a walk in an abiding with Christ that matches their stage performance. And one of the last things that's been happening over the last couple of years has been all of these preachers, sometimes from very large platforms who have fallen from grace. And for a lot of people, they're surprised, but I haven't been surprised by any of this, because one, we're all human. But two, God gives people gifts without repentance that gifted people are just gifted people. So as a result, I have moved away from judging someone's closeness to God by how well they can do on a stage. And instead, I've looked at something more like the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. When I think about the people in my life who have truly exemplified what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to be a person that I want to be like, I think about these characteristics. And there's one specifically today that I want to talk about and highlight. Patience. The thing that every New Yorker excels at. (laughs) Uh, I think about the people in my life who have been patient with me. I talk about my mentor in prison ministry, Brother Al, a lot because he was extremely formative to my pastoral days and who I am as a pastor. When I went to uh, seminary, I had just come out of a really unhealthy church situation where the pastor was, again, one of these people who are talented on the stage but don't have the inner life that matches their outer performance. And by the time I got to seminary, to be perfectly honest, I didn't know which way was up. I was a lot more confident about my abilities than I should have been. I didn't have the inner formation that I needed. And when I would go to Sing Sing every Thursday night and I would meet with Brother Al, he could very quickly identify my immaturity. He knew the areas of my life that I was extremely immature and thought I was better than I, uh, than I actually was. He knew the immaturity in my life, spiritually and emotionally, but Brother Al was patient with me. Brother Al gave me opportunities to thrive, to move forward in ministry he would sit me down for about a half an hour before each Bible study, and he would patiently walk with me through the scriptures. He'd ask me about my life. He would pray for me. He had something inside of him that I truly wanted, and I don't know that I have it just yet. I've heard one quote by a preacher that says it like this, patience is the decision to move at someone else's pace rather than pressure him or her to match yours. We can go home right now after that. It's a decision that you make. It's up to you to move at someone else's pace rather than pressure them to match your own. Now, patience is a virtue that we respect. When I told the story of Brother Al, you had tears coming down your eyes. You heard my voice voice starting to quiver. Patience is amazing when someone else has it. (laughs) But when it's you that has to be patient, it's a whole nother conversation. When, When we have to exercise it in our own life, Because we all know intrinsically that in order to be patient, you're going to have to endure some pain. Now, that is equally true about the patience that we need with other people, as well as the patience that Scripture calls us to live with, with God. That maybe, just maybe, God knows one or two things that you don't know. As Isaiah says in Isaiah 55, that God's ways are, they're not your ways. And God's thoughts, they're not your thoughts. As a matter of fact, Isaiah would say that as high as the heavens are from the earth, That's how far away God's ways are from your ways, and God's thoughts are from your thoughts. Scripture calls us to be patient, not just with other people, but with God. That we would, in all of our ways, acknowledge Him. That we would lean not to our own understanding, and we would follow Him in all of our ways, trusting Him to direct our paths at the speed that He wants to direct us. Now, to be perfectly honest and transparent, I'm like very humbled to talk about this scripture. There are some topics of scripture that I feel like really confident to walk on stage and talk about that I can, you know, poke my chest out a little bit and say it with confidence. Uh, But today is not one of them. I am not an expert in patience. As a matter of fact, this week, after I spent eight hours writing a sermon on patience, I came home and blacked out on my kids. (laughs) Shame the devil, tell the truth. You know, we're trying to raise our kids to be emotionally healthy kids, and we try to model uh, saying apologies to our kids and confession, and we try to empower our children to tell us when we're doing wrong. Sometimes that looks like, Daddy, you were mean because you didn't give me the extra cookies. I'm like, well, I don't know that that's what mean is, but, but other times, like this week, my son came up to me right before bedtime. and He said, Dad, you were too hard on me today. And I was like, Dag, I just, I just read the scriptures on patience all day long. Uh, So, I say all of that to say that, uh, man, I need this as much or more than any of you uh, in this room today. So, if you see me get really animated and start yelling at people about patience, I'm really talking to myself because by God's grace, I want it to grow inside of my life. When I look back on my life, uh, when I look back on the ministry that God allows me to have, I want people to say that Jordan was patient. He was patient with me. Jordan was patient in how he viewed God, he was patient with God's plans developing in God's timing, and in God's ways. And I'm, I'm not there just yet. So fortunately for us, we have a scripture that today, I think, is going to lead us towards developing this virtue, this gift, this fruit of patience in our life. And it comes from the book of James, um, James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. And let me say a couple of things about James in general before we dive into it. For those of you who are new, James is a book that is not necessarily interested and telling you a bunch of random thoughts about God. James is really very concerned with anybody who makes a confession of faith that their life would match their confession, that people actually live like they say they, um, that, like they, say they believe. So James is all about Christians who really claim to be a Christian, that your life would actually match your confession. Now, one of the things that's really profound about James is uh, he doesn't hold any punches, but he really wants to see our life aligned with the beliefs that we have. Here's one thing I found out as a pastor and as a Christian: in American Christianity, I think we, in a Google world where we can Google all the facts about anything you want to know, you can go on YouTube and learn how to do, a, you know, an in 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 appendix surgery. You know what I'm saying? Like you can learn almost anything on YouTube or on some Reddit thread, right? But it doesn't make you an expert. We have all this information, but we're not really that formed. And I think that trickles a little bit into our spiritual life. We think that knowing more facts about God is what God wants for us, but here's the truth. One fact that you obey is better than a thousand facts that you just know about tangentially. So what James is really pushing people to is to not just accumulate more knowledge, but rather that that knowledge would permeate their entire being and they would live from a brand new place. So James 5, verses 7 through 11, he says this, "'Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient.'" Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. So James gives us a lot to think about and a lot to process today, but I wanna highlight and draw out from this text four instances, four specific instances that James is addressing of when you should be patient. And then I wanna come back after that and talk about why we should be patient. So the first thing that I wanna highlight today is when you should be patient, Um, and James highlights this in verse seven, is in uncontrollable circumstances. We should be patient, James is getting at in verse 7, in uncontrollable circumstances. Verse 7, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. Listen to his reasoning and how he explains it. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. Now, James was writing this uh, book of the Bible to an agrarian culture, meaning most of the people worked with farming or certainly knew about farming. We live in New York City, Uh, some of you have grown up on a farm and have moved here, so you might really understand this point, but for the rest of us city slickers, um, this is not a point that comes naturally to us. What James is pointing to, his crowd would have been like, oh yeah, that makes perfect, perfect sense. Farmers could not change the seasons or rush them. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. What a farmer would do is he would take a seed and they would bury it, and they would wait for the rain patiently. The thing about seasons are you can't rush them. Seasons come and seasons go. There's nothing you can do to speed it up, and there's nothing you can do to slow it down. So James highlights this to say that there are some times in your life that you are in a circumstance that you cannot speed up and you cannot control. And when you are in that scenario, you should be patient. Now very quickly, two quick caveats. If you find yourself in a situation that you can change and it's not good, Change it, you should change it. Secondly, I wanna say, if you find yourself in a position that the reason that you are um, frustrated or challenged is because of some injustice that's happening, you should not use patience as a reason to not fight for justice or for truth. I was talking to somebody after service last time and they were telling me about uh, a job that they were uh, been, kept on getting turned down for this job. And I asked them like, oh, was it because do you think it's just because you think it's because you're black? You think it's because you're a woman? Or do you think it's just because, you know, of the, the nature of the job? I said no, but, you know, the apartment is filled with, you know, black women and stuff like that. I don't think it's for that reason. Uh, if you have been experiencing injustice for some reason, I don't think the scripture is calling us to idly sit back and let injustice just keep going, right? So I, I want us to have a little bit more maturity in how we apply patience. But if you are in a situation in your life, personally, professionally, where for whatever reason, you just can't control it, instead of being frustrated or doing something called overfunctioning, that just leads to misery and frustration, to be patient. I I think in many ways, God is um, really deepening our understanding of who we are and who he is as a result. Uh, One of the things we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, parenthetically in different conversations, is that we are all limited people. There is a limit to what you can do there is a limit to what you can accomplish. There's also a limit to what you can endure. And in some ways, limits are God's gift to us. One of my mentors says it like this, that limits are God's grace in disguise in our life. There are situations that you are in right now that are maddening, they're frustrating, they're really sad and you can't control the outcome. And instead of becoming frustrated or trying to do too much that you can't do, James would say, you should be patient. See how the farmer waits for the rains. Here's another thing that I found in my own life. When I find myself frustrated and angry in situations that I can't control, what I'm trying to do is really, it's you know being impatient, that's just a war for control. And what I've instead realized is that many times God is inviting me to embrace my limitations. How do I do that? Oftentimes it's me just praying and saying, Lord, this is a situation that I find myself in, and I've been trying to change it, and usually it's, you know, someone else and I can't change it. They're not changing or the situation is just not changing. And I do two things. I confess my limitations and I grieve the losses that I'm experiencing. So number one, I confess my limitations. I need to remind myself that I'm not in control, that there is a God and his name is not Jordan. Number two, I do have to grieve those losses and not pretend like it doesn't bother me. And I would invite you to do the same thing. If you find yourself in an uncontrollable circumstance, be patient, and you can do that by confessing your limitations in prayer and grieving those losses. Uh, So number two, this one's one's gonna cut a little little bit. I'm gonna step on some toes right now. Uh, To be patient with other people. Be patient with other people. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door." Now it's really interesting, James is talking about patience, and when he gets to other people, he doesn't say, like, don't curse someone out as a sign of patience or impatience. He doesn't say don't punch them, because most of us have enough self-control to not spaz out on somebody. What James is doing is kind of going underneath the surface. James knows that people are not just spazzing out on each other, he says, don't complain about one another. James knows that what we do with the impatience we have is we don't, even, we don't even take it to the person that we're impatient with. We take it to someone else, and we complain about them to someone else. James says don't do that because by doing that, we're bringing judgment on our lives. So James would tell us that uh, grumbling, I, I think it reveals two things in our life. The first thing I think complaining about other people reveals in our life is pride. You think you're better than them the reason that you're complaining about them and you know, talking dirty about them behind their backs is you think you're better than them. I think one of the challenges with pride is something that I see in my own life. It makes us so inflated in our own eyes. And we can see the speck in someone else's eye, but we can't see the beam in our own. Even worse than that, I think it reveals a theological problem. We're not patient with other people because we don't think God is patient with us. If you were to read the story of Scripture, the story of Scripture is not about people that got it. Oh, God says this? Oh, man. Yep, I'm going to do that. And they perfect for the rest of that day. But rather, that person after person, man after man, woman after woman, these are examples and stories of people who kept on getting it wrong, and there's a God of grace who comes and meets people exactly where they are. That is what grace is. Grace will meet you profoundly and exactly where you are. It won't leave you where you are, but it will always meet you at where you are. That is a story of scripture of God coming down to earth in the person of Jesus. Why did he do that? Why not just give us a list of things to do? That's what every other religion tells us. God came down in Jesus because he knew we could never make it up to him on our own. And God is patient with people. Here's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1 and 16. He says, but I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe. So who was Paul? Paul was a man who, uh, before he became a Christian, Paul was ordering hits on, on Christians. People would come and lay their tunics. They would lay their Averex jackets at Paul's feet before a hit was about to go down. Paul, um, Paul could have been charged with RICO charges for all of the murders and the assassinations that were happening in the early church. That's how high up he was. And Paul says, the reason that I received mercy was this, so that God can display, so that God can show, so that God can illustrate not just his ordinary patience, not just like his above average patience, his extraordinary patience to everybody who would believe. You know, if you were to make friends with people in Scripture, you would see people uh, that have just had tremendous failures, people that have denied Jesus straight, straight out over and over and over again. And Jesus' response is patience, because God is patient with people. Some of you have this version of faith where as long as you're doing good enough, whatever your good enough is, you're okay. You'll come to church on a Sunday. But when you dip below your standard of goodness, when someone else dips below your standard of goodness, you think that God cannot be good or gracious because you yourself are not that good or gracious. But God's goodness and his patience is better than yours, and we should thank God for that. So I think it reveals in us, whenever we're impatient with other people, that we're prideful, that we think that we don't need God's grace, and we're missing out on the patience of Jesus, who is patient with us, to meet us exactly where we are. And by God's grace, he will not leave us where we are. But another thing that I think grumbling or complaining about other people reveals is ignorance. And I say ignorance, I know that's a kind of an offensive word a little bit, but we just don't know what to do with the discomfort that we have with other people. So the only thing that has been modeled for us and our families has been talking about them. That's all we know. The only tool that we grew up with, is, a ha- with a ham- is with a hammer, so everything looks like a nail. So one of the things I've realized is we don't know how to deal with the issues that we have with people in a healthy way and what it means to become a Christian, to come into the family of God, is not just that you make a confession of faith and you get into the water, but that now you relearn what it means to be a child of God, to be a brother, and to be a sister. And everything that from your family of origin that you grew up with that doesn't align now with what it means to be in the family of God, we discard that. So what does it mean to deal with people who have, that you have issues with? It does not mean to complain about them uh, but it, it means something we see in Ephesians 4.29. So Ephesians 4.29 says this, No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. This could be a whole sermon in and of itself. One of the things I've discovered recently is I have changed from thinking about what is wrong with someone to what has happened to them. Most of my first inclination is when someone does something or someone says something, I'm like, yo, that's just whack. Like, what's wrong with them? Instead, now I think to myself, well, I wonder what happened to them that have made them become the person that they are today. So instead of what happened to um, who, you know, what's wrong with them, changing it with a little more curiosity to what happened to them. Now, here's what you'll realize. The people who are the most dysfunctional are in the greatest need. These people are in need of honesty, of of grace, and um, this is what Scripture calls us to do. So the Scripture in Ephesians 4.29 is not just about not cursing, although it probably includes that. It also means the way that we are not complaining or talking about other people behind their back. So instead of complaining about them, speak graciously, honestly, clearly, and timely to them. This is what it means to be to deal with people in the family of God. This is how you build up someone in need. So to speak graciously requires that we ask, "Do I want to make a point, or do I want them to grow?" If all you want to do is make a point, then you'll include a lot of stuff in that conversation that is not necessary. So graciously is not meaning that you're like sugarcoating stuff or lying. It just means that you remove everything that is not necessary to make your point, and you say it in a way that they are most likely to hear it. One of the things that's really like um, a challenge is that we go into a lot of conversations saying things how we feel like we want to say it, instead of considering how do they need to hear it. So the first thing is to speak to people graciously. Second one is honestly. Don't lie to people. Like if something offended you, you should say, this offended me. If something was like, done incorrectly. You should say, that was done incorrectly. If something is really bothering you, you should say, hey, this bothered me. So to not minimize or pretend like it's um, not something that was wrong, but to be honest in your communication. Uh, The third one is clearly. And this might require that you spend a little bit of time before having a conversation writing down your thoughts. So you can speak clearly and you can articulate exactly and precisely what it is you want to say. Now, I would not recommend shooting someone a mad long iMessage of like your thoughts, right? I think for anything that's a conflict, you should probably have a one-on-one direct face-to-face or phone conversation with someone so so they can hear your voice and all these different things. A lot gets lost in text and translation, but I do think you should write some notes down to make sure that you are clear in your communication. And the last one is timely. Don't wait 14 months before you bring something up to somebody. Because by that point, it's expired. It's, the window of opportunity has closed to make a difference and an impact in someone's life. So instead of complaining about them, speak graciously, honestly, clearly, and timely to them. All right, so number three, patient when doing the right thing causes problems. So number one, it was patient in uncontrollable circumstances. Number two, patient with other people. Number three, patient when doing the right thing causes problems. Verse 10 says, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who've spoken in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. We often believe this faulty theology that if you do the right thing, God will reward us with blessings from heaven. Now make no mistake about it, I believe that God, as James says, is the giver of good and perfect gifts. I believe that God is a good father that delights in giving his children good things. But if you were to read scripture in its entirety, You would see that there are sometimes, many times actually, that because you follow Jesus, life will become more difficult, not less difficult. Here's how 1 Peter 4 says it He says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice. With great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. What Peter is saying is not that you should be a jerk and go out in search of oppression or uh, conflict. What Peter is saying is that even if this is an enormously painful time for you, it's not strange. It's not alone. You're not alone. The prophets ahead of you, as uh, James would even say, the prophets who have spoken in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. Don't be surprised. Don't be caught off guard. And Peter gives his readers, and James gives us as a, as a warning that sometimes life will just become more difficult because you follow Jesus. Now, that's not something that, that's not something that any one of us want to, to hear or to believe. I certainly don't want that in my life. As a matter of fact, I would love a version of faith that I can predict. That doing the right thing would lead to good results. But what we see in Scripture is that God calls us to be faithful in those times. Now, James says, when you are in these situations where doing the right thing causes problems, to be patient. And here's what I know to be true. The power of God in your life will be enough wherever the will of God takes you. The power of God in your life will be enough wherever the will of God takes you. There's a scripture in Hebrews where it talks about the great cloud of witnesses, um, and the great cloud of witnesses are a group of people um, in scripture. It's almost like an arena, and it says that this arena is filled with men and women who were faithful followers of Jesus, many of them persecuted for their faith. And the image that the scripture gives us is that these people are in the arena clapping for you saying, keep going. I know it's hard. Keep going. Keep pushing. Keep, um, keep persevering. I've been there before, and I'm wearing the crown in the crowd. So keep going. If you find yourself in a moment right now where you are in a crossroads, you came to New York to get away from faith, and now you found yourself back here in faith, and now your faith is putting you in hot water, if that's you, be patient. Don't lower your Christianity to fit into the crowds. The main reason is the crowds are going to turn on you one way or the other. If it's not about your faith, it'll be about your sneakers. I saw someone, seriously, if it's not about one thing, it's going to be uh, another thing. If you're always living to please people, it's like a, it's this thing that will never, ever happen because like, people just change their mind on a whim every other Thursday. So if you're living for the applause of people, this is why Paul says, it's impossible to, if I was trying to live for the applause of people, I should not be a servant of Christ. His standards don't change. His love doesn't change. His patience doesn't change. But the crowds, man, they'll turn on you in a, in a heartbeat. So, Be patient in suffering uh, is the last one. Number four, be patient in suffering. Now, sometimes suffering and difficulty is tied to your faith. Other times, suffering has nothing to do with your faith or the fact that you are trying to follow Jesus. It is just a result of living in a fallen world. So James talks about this and uses Job, uh, a book of the Bible that talks about this really profound suffering of this man. And Job is a great example of someone who is patient in suffering. Verse 11 says, See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, two words I want to highlight from verse 11. The first is endurance, and the second one is compassionate. Um, One of the things I love to do is I love to watch the agony in other people's faces as they run. Um, I don't know why anybody runs for fun. Like, that just doesn't make sense to me. And the main argument I have against running is this. Look at anybody's face who's running and tell me they're not miserable. Unless they're like in a super elite runner, you know what I'm saying, the East Africans, and they just like, (laughs) running like 100 miles an hour. Take them out the equation. The rest of the 99.9% of people, they're always miserable when they're running. And that's because running is an endurance sport. Implicit in endurance is that there's a misery that you have to endure to get to the finish line. So when scripture calls us to endurance, it's not calling us to a a nice little jog around um, Morningside Park. It's calling us to the race of faith, to endure. To endure means I do not want to keep going, but I'm going to keep on putting one foot in front of the other. One of the things that has been most helpful to me um, is that if you find yourself in a difficult place, never believe that what you are going through is meaningless. If you believe that it is meaningless, it's going to cut your endurance from right, right from under you. Secondly, never believe the lie that God doesn't understand what you're going through. I might not know what you're going through. I don't know what it feels like to be in your shoes, particularly if you're going through a tough time right now or have gone through tough times. I don't know what it feels like. But Christianity is the only religion that says that we serve a God who knows what it feels like to suffer. So that second word that I want to highlight is that the Lord is compassionate. The Lord knows what it means. He suffers alongside of you. Whenever you are praying to, whenever you're praying in the middle of your trials and your suffering and your difficulties and your hardships, you are praying to a God that knows exactly what it feels like to feel disappointment, to feel pain, to feel abandoned. The great One of the most profound things that I've realized about Jesus on the cross when he prays, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? means this. I don't even know how to put it all into words. That means that God the Son knows what it feels like to be abandoned by God the Father. So if you have ever hit a point where life is so painful that you feel like God has left you, God the Son knows what that feels like. God knows exactly what it is because He is compassionate. And in the moments of profound difficulty and suffering and pain, don't believe it's meaningless and don't believe that God is not with you and that he knows exactly what it is you're feeling. So you can find patient endurance, not in the situation resolving itself, because it might not resolve itself, or it might not resolve itself quickly, but through prayerful, daily, one foot in front of the other. Also through borrowing faith from other people around you, other brothers and sisters who can lend you a little bit of their faith when you don't have any on your own. So... um, The paradox of patience is that patience only comes through disruption, through disappointment, through difficulty. As a matter of fact, if all you do is go home and say, that was a nice sermon, you're not going to grow to be a more patient person. It has to be put into practice in dealing with difficult moments and with difficult people. I want to leave you with two two reasons why we should be patient, and then um, uh, we'll head home. We'll, we'll, We'll move towards worship. The first reason that James gives us is that God is in control. You should be patient because God is in control. He says this in verse 7. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. So what makes Christianity unique is that it's not because of its teachings. Every religion has some set of teachings in the book and prophets. Like, that's very common. What makes Christianity unique is that it, it claims that God entered the world, was crucified, and was raised from the dead. As a matter of fact, James, the author of this book, what actually made is he's Jesus' brother. And as Scripture tells it in Mark, Jesus' brothers didn't really follow Jesus while he was on earth teaching. They didn't follow Jesus because of his teachings. What made James a follower of Jesus was Jesus' resurrection, that he saw something after Jesus was crucified. And what he saw changed his life and made him willing to not just write letters about Jesus, but James was eventually executed for, for his faith. And what James is telling us is this, I have seen the resurrected Jesus, the one who was raised in all power. And if you're going to have patience, one of the reasons is we believe that we serve a God who was raised with all power in his hands. And one day he will right everything that was wrong. But in the meantime, we can be patient. Last thing that James says as a reason to be patient is that God rewards our patience. God is honored by our patience. James 5 and 11, it says, see, we count as blessed those who have endured. Galatians 6 and 9 says, let us not get tired for doing right, for after a while, we will reap a harvest and a blessing if we do not give up. So um, the last thing I know about patience is that it's not something that you can will yourself to, but it's something that the Holy Spirit has to produce in our hearts. Uh, We need God to be patient, and we need God to put this stuff into practice. Let me pray for us right now. Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take the words that we have just heard, and Lord, you would sow those seeds into our hearts, and that our hearts would be able to receive them, and that they would be good soil to produce a harvest, a harvest, Lord, of patience, of not complaining about other people, but in having healthy, honest conversations with them, of rehearsing your grace in our lives, of submitting our will to your will, of confessing our limitations. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the endurance to endure, to be patient, to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.